Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Box Suite Life of Zach and Cody, presented by VancouverIsAwesome.com. We have a special guest today here to talk about the memory of Vancouver Canucks legend Pat Quinn. You know him as the former owner of the Vancouver Canucks. It's uh, Arthur Griffiths. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks very much, Zach. Yeah, Cody. we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come out. The team you guys built uh, was a huge part of mine and Zach's childhoods. Probably hard to pick one single thing, but what would you say was Pat Quinn's biggest legacy with that team? Well, I think he redefined uh, the team both that plays on the ice and the type of hockey that we see now and that we that the fans in Vancouver want, which is obviously not only a, the, the new age term is uh, puck possession. And, and then the second thing was, and equally important, frankly, was reconnecting back to the community. And it's not necessarily that it wasn't there before. It was it was meaningful this time, I guess, is the way I would put it. Uh, and I'm talking about things like Canuck Place, uh, telethons, uh, interaction with the fans, uh, both at, you know, maybe a, a big carnival or whatever it might be, of course. And it was really, I guess the expression might be walking the talk. And, and, and with, with Pat, uh, Brian Burke uh, was his first hire, as he referred to yesterday, is that uh, these guys um, made sure that everybody that was involved in the team on and off the ice were uh, part of the community. And what that does, of course, is it allows you to become more than just a, a business, I guess. You become a, a beacon for people to support a cause that might... Uh, might change other people's lives. Was was that at the time? Um, I'm sure other organizations had charity or like stuff like that going on. But was that kind of groundbreaking in terms of the the amount of organization that you guys had behind it? It, it was, and it is actually the the Philadelphia Flyers, which is kind of ironic in, in a way because part of one of our events that we created before Canuck Place uh, was a. As I say, I described it as a carnival, a little bit like a Mardi Gras. Was the players and the fans in a venue. Um, uh, dunk tanks, which I managed to get into a few times. Um, uh, yeah. Depending on what time of the season that oh, was. <laughs> geez, it, wasn't, it wasn't at all was that much fun. The water was cold. But Pat had that experience because the Philadelphia Flyers' uh, wives and players had that event. So Pat and his wife Sandra came to Vancouver and weaved through the, the notion of creating an event like this. So bottom line is, is that other than the Flyers, there was really nobody else in the NHL that was doing anything like this. Yeah. Hmm. A big part of Pat Quinn's legacy for me was drafting Trevor Linden. What was it about this kid that made him Pat Quinn's guy? And do you remember any conversations you had with Pat about Trevor Linden before you drafted him? A hundred percent. You know, we had, uh, which is customary now, but it wasn't really in those days. But Pat and Brian and and the rest of the hockey department had created a, a, um, I guess I'd refer to it as a, a uh, bit of a revolutionary approach to drafting, which was that you actually interview the players before you ever uh, draft them. So you bring them into a camp, and in some cases it was a camp, and you could skate, you couldn't skate, but more importantly, you bring them in and you just have some one-on-one interviews. Yeah. Now that's customary, as I say, but what we did with Trevor, uh, Mike Medano didn't make it, I remember that. We took them out on the boat, we showed them the city, and we had a my boat being my father's boat, and we had a... Oh, a couple of nice days for the players. That's and, so uh, cool. Yeah, it was really fun. And my, my, uh, I remember distinctly meeting Trevor and you knew, uh, that Trevor was not, never mind what he could do on the ice, but he was just this, I guess they call it a good old farm boy, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, prairie boy, whatever. And he just, he just exuded this kind of family dynamic that you wanted to be around. You wanted to adopt him for crying out loud. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and it'd be a, the age difference now that I think about it. It's kind of creepy, but he, uh, it's like he, Batman uh, <laughs> adopting Robin and he's like a 24 year old man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I honestly, I just sent, I just found myself uh, uh, to the, from that day forward. And of course his family came in and of course the draft and not just his, not just his mom and dad, but his siblings, 
his brothers and his grandparents. And you just thought, oh, this is just, this is too good to be true. And then, of course, the rest of it is about the man and the player that he's become. Yeah. Going back a bit further, uh, do you actually remember the first time you met Pat? I do. Uh, I recounted that story a couple of times, and it's a cute story. Honestly, I was uh, 12 years old. I was going to a school in, uh, in Vancouver, and the, I don't know, one of the teachers at the school had arranged an autograph session. You know, we used to be the Lions and the Canucks and so on, and this was 1972. Uh, Pat was playing for the Canucks, of course, came in and there was a lineup of kids looking for his autograph. And I eventually got to the front of the queue and I tugged on his coat as he will describe, he would describe the story. And I tugged on his coat and I said, excuse me, Mr. Quinn. I looked up about four feet and uh, I said, can you please sign my hockey card? And he, of course, obliged. And then he tells the story that uh, little did he know that day that 25 years later he wanted my autograph, but this time on a contract. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess uh, since his passing, we've we've heard the terms father figure over and over again with many different people. Did you have a similar experience with that with him? Beyond, and yes, the interesting thing is that he and my father and my mother and Sandra's wife were and are uh, very, very close. The holiday together in the summer um, when my dad was alive, uh, but also uh, subsequently when my mother would be somewhere, she would have a boat, she would be somewhere, and Pat and Sandra would come and spend time. So they became very close. But Pat and I worked together, so to speak. Yeah. I guess I listened to him uh, every day <laughs> for almost 12, 10 years. And he taught me stuff. And I would, it was kind of really cool because I got to understand not only how he was and thought about things. And we talked about the hockey and the community, but um, just his outlook on life and mm-hmm. people. You know, you talk about him being a, a gentle giant. And I think I can only recall once or twice him raising his voice. Um, if it were me, <laughs> I would have probably jumped across the table at the person. Uh, but seriously, he was uh, he he was very much a father figure to me, and uh, you're right. A lot of people refer to it, but uh, and we shared some a lot of laughs, a lot of tears. Uh, you know, winning and losing as it as it happens to be, but and a lot of a lot of same dreams. Um, he allowed me to dare to dream, so to speak, uh, in building uh, Rogers Arena. It's uh, it's pretty cool to uh, have that as a mentor, so to speak. Yeah, no kidding. On on that subject, sort of, uh, just curious, did you guys ever have any, uh, you won a big game, any post-game rituals or something like that? Just beer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Maybe a cigar. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he was uh, one of those people that uh, win or lose, he was pretty even keel. You know, he'd get excited at the moment for sure, and he'd be happy, and he would be jovial with a win, but uh, he never really got very low, uh, and he never really got very high, and, uh, you know, you've seen uh, video footage of him uh even the gold medal. I mean, obviously he's excited and so on, but he was uh, one of those people that uh, probably exuded that calmness that you needed. And I even heard Wayne Gretzky refer to that, that he just, it's never mind, guys, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about Pavel Bure because when you and uh, Pat drafted him, it was actually pretty controversial because a lot of people didn't think he was eligible that year, right? Absolutely. So what was going on behind the scenes there at that draft table? Oh, lots. Um, I was at the table um, and uh, Mike Penny, uh, our, uh, our head scout, uh, and our European scout were uh, having discussions about this eligibility of this player. And uh, and we had, our European scout at the time said to us, no, he's played enough games. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't an age issue. It was about quantity of games that he had played at a semi-pro league um, uh, eligible. So we said, well, you know, we're not talking about the first round. We're not talking about this player. But we, we can clearly see this guy's going to be special. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, do we do we risk it, so to speak? But... Our sources said, no, he qualifies. So we, we just uh, 
bit the bullet, took the player. I remember, I think the Rangers in particular just went ballistic. <laughs> I think that followed by that was the Flyers. I think they assaulted the central scouting of the NHL. And, wow. uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, it went quiet after that for almost a year. The following draft was in Vancouver. Right. And it was actually held in BC Place. The eve of the draft, or the day before, and through the eve of the draft, there was a formal challenge uh, to the NHL. Then President John Ziegler and his staff said, we have to we have to look into this. We don't think he's played enough games. Fortunately for us, and um, you know, some people don't really know this, but we, we, we had to prove his eligibility. Right. So what would we do? We contacted our friends in Russia that we'd had some dealings with particularly because of course we'd had Igor and uh, Vladimir Krutov yeah. here and they uh, they supplied us with the game sheets and uh, the NHL said uh, yeah you're he so belongs cool. I'm surprised they supplied you with those because of just the tensions back then right well it, yeah, well that was the interesting thing um, I, I don't want to suggest this was the backbone of it but what, we'd be, what we had managed to do though is we had developed a solid relationship some of it was financial uh, to allow uh, Igor and Vladimir to come here before that so there was a Pretty good bond. Yeah. And to this day, I, I mean, I've got lots of friends in Russia that are uh, in the hockey world. What was probably the biggest moment for you as an owner? With Pat? Yeah. Oh, that's an inter- That's a great question. I, would, I think Pat was, um, there were so many things about him, but to me, being able to um, be on that ride in 94, experience the, uh, the highs and the lows, uh, the stress. I mean, I was, I was in the middle of building the arena. Yeah. Uh, I'd just been awarded a basketball team, and we were building Canuck Place. So, it's uh, a lot uh, on your plate. It was a, it was a busy time, and I had four children, so it was pretty pretty full on. And I, I but I think um, particularly the Stanley Cup ride in in, in in the final against the Rangers, uh, you can picture the status. So someone five foot five and someone uh, six foot four, yeah. slight weight difference, and uh, hands the size of uh, in his case the size of basketballs. When we would embrace, of course, we would dwarf, but he never made you feel, he never, ever made me feel uh, vertically challenged. <laughs> uh, honestly, he was uh, just a kind person, and uh, we shared a lot of laughs. Uh, so I'd probably just say that ride as opposed to an individual event. Yeah. Well, speaking of that ride and speaking about the Canucks and that playoff run in 1994, they were the underdogs going into it. What was it about Pat Quinn that could make these players feel like they can play any team in the league? And was he saying anything behind closed doors that you can share? Absolutely. It's interesting because he and I spoke about this last year a few times when we would see each other. It was his ability, and we talked about it years ago when he was when he was first here. And I, you know, I said, oh, Pat, how do you, how do you get a hold of this kind of a group of players and make them play for each other like this and he said well first of all i think it comes back to the kind of person uh player he was Mm -hmm. he was all team you know he was all canadian he was all team he was all um it was all about the uh the group coming together to achieve something uh great and i think for him what he did for those players is he made you feel like the star on the team even if you played five minutes um, or if you played 10 minutes, or frankly, if you were, as they call the black aces when you were practicing, yeah, there was never, never felt, and every player says this, and that's pretty darn difficult to do. And at the end of the day, though, you just don't know whether someone's going to get injured or someone's going to have another issue. So you find that when you need to go to the well, those guys believe in you, and, and they want to show you that what you trust in them, they're going to give it back. And it's just, it doesn't have to be hockey, it's life. That's really cool. I got goosebumps thinking about some of his speeches. I wish we had those on. Oh, gosh. Some of them you don't want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think it meant to Pat Quinn to be honored by the Canucks last season being included in the ring of honor at Rogers Arena? Sometimes uh, these honors come too late, but, you know, Pat got to see it firsthand. 
what he meant to the city? I dare say that there's a moment in his life that he would cherish more, and it includes the gold medal game. Um, I think that that night for him, because it was surrounded by his players and his family, sometimes these other celebrations you have, you've got pieces of that, and, and it's the mayhem that can come with that, but that was Pat Quinn night. Um, I think that probably meant the world to him, and I know you know we were together that night, and uh, my mother was with him, and um, and I've still got some indelible images uh, of the two of them and uh, myself uh, just uh, sharing uh, lots of memories. So I think probably that night. Wow. Just out of curiosity, did you have any personal stories or feelings about Pat you wanted to share with us today? One could have been very, uh, very catastrophic for for me, uh, for us. We were um, at meetings in New York, NHL governor's meetings. And uh, by this point, he was not managing. He was, uh, sorry, he was managing, not coaching. And we were barreling down the runway on takeoff at JFK. And, um, there was a storm, a bit windy, and um, we were just ready for liftoff. We thought we were, our wheels were up almost, and uh, and all of a sudden the plane came to a screeching halt. That particular runway in JFK, if you don't stop, you're in the water. Oh. Oh, wow. And he looked over at me, and he had his arm across the, we were both the, across the aisle from each other, and he reached across with his arm, which was fairly large, and he put it in front of me, like almost like a, a kid would block his, 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 you know, cross the aisle, block a, from a, a collision. And my heart was just pounding, and I thought, "God, what's going on here? This is this is it." Um, and um, anyhow, we looked at each other, and he goes, "The luck of the Irish," which was as we stopped. <laughs> and uh, and I just smiled and laughed, and I thought, "Holy smokes!" And what was happening was there was a plane inbound that was going to be in our flight path, and uh, we would have not made it. But it was uh, some moments, and I remember uh, I remember talking to him about that several times after. He says, "You know, Arthur, we, we, I've been on a lot of planes," and he says, "You have too." And I don't think I've been more scared uh, on an airplane. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, just uh, kind of wrapping up here, are you still watching the Canucks? Are you still a fan of the game? Oh, absolutely. I probably took a little bit like Trevor, and maybe for some similar reasons, um, a break. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't follow the team or wasn't interested, but I just decided that there were other things that I needed to think about in my life, uh, family, business, and other things. And so, you know, I'm going now and going to the games and it's just a treat to watch the team play. As I said, it's that puck possession, as they call it now, uh, kind of hockey. With Pat and the team and the team concept, what I love to see is the guys on the third and fourth line. Because during the season, if they can produce, you really, really elevate your success rate in the playoffs. Right. Because that's when those players are the ones that need to be counted on. And when you burn the rest of the roster out, mm-hmm. there's nothing left in the tank. Yeah, we're seeing a return to kind of Pat Quinn hockey where we're seeing the forward lines being rolled evenly. We're seeing four-line mm-hmm. hockey. And I think that's a product of what Pat Quinn used to preach. Exactly. And that's that's what works so well about the 94 team. Like you said, having a hard time to say who was the unsung hero. It was just the chemistry yeah. of the entire team <clears throat> made up why that was successful, right? Well, it, it's good for your team, but it plays... It, it's rough for the opposition. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't know who to concentrate on, frankly, sometimes. And uh, as you got these guys, and as you saw the other night, for example, you've got uh, the fourth line, so to speak, with Bo Horvats getting three assists and Yannick Hansen getting three. And uh, yeah. I don't know if there was a betting uh, potential on any one of these websites to bet yeah. on that game, on that as a potential, but you could have made a lot of money on that it. That would have been a nice payday. <laughs> oh, that'll never happen again. What I think, and what I think is really interesting, too, is you have Pat Quinn and all of his intangibles and his work ethic, and he teaches those things to Trevor Linden, and then you have Trevor Linden showing these things to the Sedins, and now we have kind of a unique opportunity here for the Sedins then to let those same qualities rub off on a guy like Bo Horvat. So... 
I think that the DNA of Pat Quinn is sort of still encoded into this Vancouver Canucks squad. It is absolutely true. And to go to the building now, for example, and to see Kirk McLean and Dave Babich, and as you mentioned, of course, Trevor and others, to see them both or all following that mantra. And, and that's the thing about Trevor. Trevor's his own man. He's, a, he's as stubborn sometimes as Pat, but just maybe not. most people don't know that. But at the end of the day, uh, about being part of a team, I mean, don't get me wrong, Trevor, very talented in many, many ways, but, you know, was he Pavel Bure? No, but he worked for everything he got and yeah. still does, so I appreciate that as the legacy of Pat. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thank you so much thank again. You. All right, well, from the cave, this is Zach. And this is Cody. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs>